All right, Rabbi, say good morning. Let us let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Shvat, Mrs. Bracha Strimber for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month in memory of her husband Avi Strimber Avram Ben Kalman Eliezer Halevi Zichron Levrach. We open the merit of our Talmud Torah. Then Shemal Haven Aliyah and the family in Chama. We thank Avi Tobias for dedicating all the Shurman Drushos this month. An appreciation for the Shir and for the Rebano Shala Olam's incredible Torah. All right, so with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today, a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us. Today's daf is daf vav. We are picking up six. We are picking up on him and base. We left off Besapras. Besapras. So it's about two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty. About 22, 23 lines are from the bottom. So the Gemara says, Beisapras mi metame bo'a. So remember again, the Gemara says, Beisapras, which we defined yesterday as a field in which there was a grave. The grave was plowed over. So now what's the concern in the Beisapras? The concern is bone fragments. Bone fragments scattered throughout the field. So we'll say the Gemara says, but one second, could a Beisapras convey Tumas Ohel? Now, just we have our terms correct over here. Remember, Tumas Ohel, is the type of Tumah that you contract. The paradigmatic case of Tumas Oel is I'm under the same roof with a corpse, right? But again, perhaps in more, not more common, but another form of Tumas Oel is how I'm walking and I bend over, right? I lean over a corpse, right? I lean over a source of Tumah, in which case, again, by leaning over, I am the Ohel. So that's right, it's interesting. There's two different types of Ohel. There's you could be under an Ohel or you can be the Ohel. So the Gemara says, does a base apras convey to us ohel? Interestingly enough, we've seen this before that Rav Yehuda said the name of Shmuel. There is a way to traverse a base apras. How do you traverse a base apras? Well, say how? Very slowly, right? Very slowly and methodically, literally blowing the dirt in front of you as you walk. Because again, what's the logic behind that? If there is a bone fragment, you'll see it. Because we'll say the good thing about a base surprise is that there is a bone fragment. Where is the bone fragment? Where is it? Where is it? It's usually on the upper layer, upper layer of soot. Because remember again, the whole chap of a base surprise is they plowed over a grave, which means they uprooted the grave. And that's, and therefore the bone fragments are still by the top of the soil. So the Gemara Svaholeich, Rabbi Huda Bar, Rabbi Huda Bar Ami, Mishmedu Ula Amar, Beisa Prashani Doshtar, that we'll say the Beisa Pras that ultimately was plowed is really tar. Amar Papa Lokashya, Kan Bisadesh Sha'avad Bakever, Kan Bisadesh Nechrash Bakever. Oh, so we'll say this is actually very interesting. So apparently, apparently, there are two different types of Beisa Pras. There's a Beisa Pras Shenechrash Bakever. So we'll say that's a base across where there was a kever, there was a kever. The kever was plowed over, plowed over. Versus a base across where I know there was a grave in this field. I just don't know what. I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. We'll say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, this is the last wide, short line of Rashi. Beside the Sha'ar Ba'kever, Katani Dimetzainin, Dimetame Ba'ohel, Dimetame Ba'ohel. Um, so I will say, if you have a field in which a grave was lost, that's where the Bryce has said, that's where the Bryce has said that you have to go ahead and mark that field, because I know that Halach Halamai said there is a grave in there, and that type of field therefore could convey to us Ohel. We'll say what the Gemara is suggesting right now is as follows. 
If you have a field in which you know there was a grave, but the grave was plowed over, we're not worried about that. We're not worried about that because even though there may be bone fragments, we're, we're, we assume that the fragments are so small that Allah said they're not going to convey to us all hell. Masha'inkin, when there is a grave there and the grave was lost, then we have a significant concern because I know that there is an intact grave in that field and I don't know where it is. Excuse me, that's where the field has to be actively marked. One second. A field in which you lost the keva, right? So a field in which there was a grave, but now the grave has been lost. That's called a base hapras. That as Sigmar says in Vatana we learned Shlosha Bes Hapras Hain. There are three different types of Bes Hapras. Sodesh Ne'evad Ba Kever, right? A field in which you lost the kever. A field in which the grave was plowed over. And the field, right, a bochen field. They both say bochen literally means crying. So what's a sada bochen? They both say this is fascinating. So the Gemara says, My sada bochen, Rabbi Yeshua Ba'am, Mishaydu Ula Amar, Sada Shemaftirin Bamesim. It's the field in which we take leave of the dead. So I'll say, watch this. This is absolutely fascinating. Look at Rashi, second wide line in Rashi. Shemaftirin ba mesin, shekishemavien mesin mimakom lemakom likbar. So I'll listen to this. Sometimes you would transport a corpse, right, from what city A to city B, right? The person passed away in city A, but burial was going to be in city B. So what happens? So when they would come to a field, they would come to a field that was close to city B. This is fascinating. So what happened is they used to have a field. We'll call it Falak like a transfer field. And what would happen is the people from city A would bring the corpse from city A to this field. The residents of City B, let's say the Chavar Kadisha of City B would come. They would receive the body in that field. That's where they would perform the Tara. That's where they would wash the body, ready the body for burial, and then afterwards bury it. Love Dafka, they would bury in that field. But that would be, so they called Sadeh Bochen. Right, Sadeh Bochen. That would be the transfer field. So that's also called, that's also called a um, Besapras. So I'm also we're suggesting over here two different, three different types of Besapras. A field in which a kever was lost, a field in which a kever was plowed over, and sada bochin. The time of my mishum yeosh bailem nagava. They will say, by the way, just that last one. Why is that called the base pasul? They will say, I understand the first two, right? Where the where the grave was lost, that's a problem because now you know there is an intact grave somewhere in that field. When the grave was plowed over, the concern is what bone fragments that are large enough to convey tuma. But what's the problem with sada bochin? Right, what, what, what's the problem with the transfer field? So what's the interesting of the Gemara says, the problem with it is that sometimes, halakha la maisa, the limb, the, the corpse could be decomposing, and a limb could be lost. And perhaps they're not cognizant of the loss of a limb, and so a limb could remain behind in that field. So you could have a source of intact tumah in that field as well. So the Gemara says, so therefore again, halakha la maisa, these are the three different types of base hapras. So what the Gemara is saying over here, what it sounds like, based on the Braissa, based on what we said before, is that a field that has a plowed over grave does not need a marker. Right? So when we say marker, remember again, the marker we're talking about is what? A stone covered in white plaster that alerts people to the presence of Tumah. So the Gemara says, is that true? That a field that has a plowed over grave doesn't require a marker? Vahatani, we learned, 
fascinating case. Let's say you find a field with a marker. You find, so, it's, so, so the easiest way kind of to think about this is imagine you find a field, but a demarcated field. It could be a simple case. You find a field with a fence around it, but it's, but it's not a Rosh Hashayachet, right? You find a field with a fence or, or with a tree line around it, and you find a stone with white plaster by that field. Okay, Shabbat says, so here's the problem. You don't know what that means. So here's what I know. I know that I have a field, and by the entranceway to that field, I have a white stone. So, right? so the Imara says, so if the field has trees, so we'll say, if it has trees, then I know what does that mean? What does that stone mean? That means there was a grave here. The grave was plowed over. The grave was plowed over. If it doesn't have trees, that shows me that what? There, was a, there is an intact grave here, but the location of the grave is unknown. Now, I will say, now, I don't understand. What does trees have to do with this? It's very simple. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, It's in the wide lines of Rashi, about five lines in. So remember, we have two different types of Beis Afras, right? One type is where there's an intact grave that was lost. The second type is when the grave was plowed over. So what's the naf community between those two? What's the naf community between those two fields? Very significant. What's the naf community? How do you or can you traverse it? Remember again, if it's plowed over, I could traverse it. How, like we said before, slowly by blowing on the dirt in front of me to reveal bone fragments. If it's a field with an intact grave that's lost, I can't. I can't go in. Or as we say, I can't go. In, I'm just going to become tame. But you're right because I don't know where the intact grave is. So the Gemara says, here's the way to tell the difference. Look at Rashi. If there are trees planted in the field, this means that this was a field that had a grave that was plowed over. If you find trees, the only way to plant trees is how? Is how? Is how? To plow the field. Which means that it is a field that had a grave and the grave was plowed over. That's how the trees are there, because somebody plowed and somebody planted trees. So therefore, I will say, what does that tell me? That tells me I can walk through it, I just have to what? Blow on the dirt before I walk through to expose any bone fragments. But I will say, but what do you see from here? You see from here that you do put a marker, even by a base pras that has a plowed over grave. However, if it doesn't have trees, if it doesn't have trees, then that tells me that what? There is an intact grave in this area, but the location of the intact grave has been lost. But I will say, but our point over here is you see from here that you in fact do put a marker with all of these types of fields. So the Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Rabbi Huda says, no, no, no. The truth is, the truth is, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Rabbi Huda Omer, A field does not have the status of a field that has a plowed over grave 
unless there's someone who could tell you that with some level of certainty. Right? In other words, what Rabbi Yehuda seems to be saying is that halacha lamaisa, if you see a field with a marker, the greater probability is that there is a great, an intact grave that was lost. The only time we go ahead and we say that the grave, the field has a grave that was plowed over is when there's someone there who could ascertain or who could, who could vouch for those facts. Amra Papa, ki tanyahi, Rabbi says, no, what are we talking about? We're talking about over here a case where there is an intact grave. No, Rabbi say, the Gemara is not telling you in a case of a regular Beis Apras, where there was, where there was a, there was a plowed over grave. You don't have to mark that, but rather again, because there's a way to traverse that field, albeit slowly and methodically. The only time you have to mark a field is when Allah said there is a lost intact grave. So if Papa says like this, the Bryce is talking about a case where there is a lost intact grave. So the Sha'avad Bakara did Sainuha, and therefore they marked the grave with a stone with white plaster. Yeshba Ilanos. So if ultimately, again, it has trees, you know that after the fact, the field was plowed, and therefore the grave was plowed over. So the Gemara says, if it doesn't have trees, that tells you it hasn't been plowed over, and it is a field with an intact, with an intact grave. But I'll say, even with the trees, perhaps, again, the trees just tell me, Perhaps the grave is on the outside and the trees are in the inside. In other words, maybe the grave is on the outside of the trees. In other we're talking about trees that are planted around the perimeter of the field. Maybe again, the Tumah. Maybe the Tumah is on the inside and ultimately again the trees on the outside. To which the Gemara said, "Misubachin." Ultimately, we're talking about thickly or densely planted trees. Vibai zema ha'amrin ein marchik and siyum emakom tuma shalol lahaf sedes eretz yisrael. So, what's the other possibility? Is remember again, we wouldn't plant trees that way if the trees are there to demarcate tuma, as we saw in yesterday's dafar. said that whenever you're planting or creating something as a demarcation for tuma, you have to be what? There's this balance. What's the balance of said? We don't go ahead and make the simen or the right. We'll call it the tziyun right on top of the Tumah, because what's the concern there? The concern is that a person will only realize that they're next to Tumah by the time it's too late, but we also don't space it out too much in order not to unnecessarily cause the loss of agricultural land in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Huda says, Achi Yehesham Zakim, O Talmud. So Rabbi Huda says, if you see a grave with a, if you see a field with a marker, the automatic assumption is that Halacha Lamaisa there's an intact grave in that field, just the exact location is lost. Until you have either a Zakin or a Tamut Chacham who could tell you exactly where, that, excuse me, that the field was plowed over. Why Lefishayin HaKol became a Dover? Amrabai says, what do you see from here? Shmamina, Surah You see from say that when a city has a Tamut Chacham in a particular place, Komili Demasa Ale Ramya. That all the matters of this city are upon it. So in other words, interesting idea that you think to yourself, 
why does the Talmud Chacham, right? Why, why, why does that, why does the Talmud Chacham, right? Uh, the Rav in the city, why does he have to know where the grave is? To which the Gemara says, you see from here, because the Rav of a city is responsible for everything, right? Everything rests on his shoulders. So the Gemara says, even the idea over here that even if there was a grave and it was plowed over, that's his responsibility to know. Incredible. So the Gemara says, I'm going to be Yehuda. So both say, so fine. Just want to point out. So therefore, what we have over here is as follows so far. So here, here, here are the takeaway points to remember. Takeaway points to remember says that there are three forms of Besapras, right? Three forms of Besapras. Number one, a field in which a kever was lost, the grave is intact, but the location is lost, that's the most intense. Because there, I say, essentially, we have to pretty much, in our, if you're makbid on Tumantara, you pretty much can't go through that field. There's, because there's no way to know where the grave is. That's case number one. Case number two is a field that had a grave, but what? The grave was plowed over, in which case, again, there is a concern for bone fragments everywhere. The good news is, if there are bone fragments, they're on the top level of soil, and there is a way to traverse that field. How? Slowly, methodically, by blowing away the dirt in front of you, thereby exposing any bone fragments. Case number three, case number three, is what we call Sadeh Bochin, which we're introduced to in today's daf, which is this exchange field, right? This Hevra Kadisha field, where then when they were transferring a body from city A to city B, they would leave the body in the field, not leave, in other words, they would, they would transfer the body to the Hevra Kadisha of city B. City B would often perform the Tara in that field. There's a concern in that field that maybe if the body is decomposing, a limb would be lost and the Hevra Kadisha would not be cognizant of it. And I remember again, an intact limb could go ahead and convey Tumah. Convey Tumah. So those are our three different forms of, three different forms of Beis HaPras. Based on this Gemara, it appears that Halacha Lamaisa, you have to make a marker in all of those types of a Beis HaPras. Good. Mostly the other thing we've learned is that when making a Tzion, we're making a marker to alert travelers to the presence of a grave, one has to be careful not to make the marker too exact, can't be too exact, otherwise a person won't realize that it's a grave until it's too late and they're on top of it. You also can't make it too big in order not to go ahead and cause the unnecessary loss of agricultural land in Eretz Yisrael. Beautiful. A few more halachas, I will say. Samar Rav Yehuda, Matzah Evan Mitsuyanas Tachta Tomei. So let's listen to this. If you find, Evan Mitsuyanas just means a demarcation stone. So I'll say, if you find a stone, if you find a stone that's coated with white plaster, because that's how they used to mark a grave. So if you find an Evan Mitsuyanas, Tachtel, the area underneath the stone is Tomei. We assume that that stone alerts you to the presence of a corpse underneath it. Now watch this. Shtaim. say, listen to this interesting case. Let's say you find two stones. Two stones, right? Two stones across from each other. Shavuot says, so, now, what, so the shaila is, what, what does that mean? Does that, so we'll say, let's talk about the possibilities. What are the possibilities? Possibilities that there's two graves, one under each stone, or what's the other possibility? That actually, the area that's being demarcated here is not the area underneath the stones, but what? The area between the stones. So watch this. So the Gemara says, it's very simple. Im yesh sid beinehen, beinehen tamei, vim ein sid beinehem, beinehen tar. So I'll say it's a very simple case. What, so how do you determine it? Again, if you have two stones and the area between them was tamei, then that area would have been demarcated with plaster as well. 
That again, if that's really what it was, that the two stones are kind of the bookends of the Tumah, and the Tumah extends between, they would have put plaster on that area in between as well. If that area in between the stones does not have plaster, that indicates to me the Tumah is underneath the stones, but not between the stones. So the Gemar is that true even if the area was not plowed. Rashi says, it's actually right across in Rashi. So is that true? Even if the area wasn't plowed, right in between them, that Allah so we assume that there's no tumma in between the stones. But Tanya, we learned, if you find one stone, or a, a one stone marker, then you again, that stone tells me that underneath the stone is tumma shtaim. What happens if you find two stones? Im If the area in between the stones is plowed, then the area in between the stones is tar, right? And, and, and what that means, the area in between the stones is tar, but what? But what? The area under the stones themselves is going to be tame. Ve'imlav, but I will say, listen to this. If the area in between the stones has never been plowed, ve'imlav, ve'nehen tame. Because the, the fact that the area in between the stones has not been plowed tells me that what? Tells me that what? That there's tumah. There must be tumah between the stones. But remember again, I want to point out, all of these cases, all of these cases, we're talking about where these markers are found in agricultural areas, right? That's what's happening over here, right? Because obviously, if it's not an agricultural area, the fact that it's not plowed is not a rayo. This is all being found in agricultural fields. That's why, again, the Gemara says, when making the markers... Be careful not to make the markers too big so as not to go ahead and cause the loss of usable soil, of, all right, of agricultural soil. So now the Gemara says over here that if you have the two markers, the two stones, if the area between them has been plowed, that's an indication that the area is taller. But if the area between the stones has never been plowed, that's a pretty good indication that what? That there's a grave there. Right, for the fact that it's never been plowed tells me that there's some something or or someone buried there. So the Gemara says, "Amarat Papa, no, no, no." Hacha kisha sid shafach aroshem umarudu lekan lekan. So I say, "No, no." Here's the case. The case is where you poured the plaster on the stones, and the plaster from the stones, it's clear, went onto the area in between the stones as well. Watch this. So the Gemara says, "E ika chorish beinehan beinehan tar." So listen to this. If the area between if the area between the stones is plowed and you see some plaster on that area between the stones, we assume that that plaster on the area between the stones came because maybe the plow rubbed against the stones, right? And rubbed off some of the plaster on the stones and as a result, it's on the earth in between. However, the Gemara says, But again, if the area is not plowed, Sid Debeni Benihu Vitame. Then ultimately, again, I will say, then what? Then halacha that must mean that that plaster was put there initially, and that plaster was there to demarcate the fact that not only is the area underneath the stones tame, but again, I'm sorry, but the area between the stones is going to be tame as well. Incredible. So I'm Rabbi Yassi, Meitzer Echad, Mitsuyan. So we'll say now another case. Fine, not another case. Salacha Lamaisa. So, we'll say, so again, so essentially, by the way, it comes out in the two stone, in the two stone cases, 
if the area in between the two has plaster and has never been plowed, that's indicative of the fact that there is a grave there, that there's tumor there. But interestingly enough, if there's plaster there, but the area has been plowed, then we don't attribute the plaster to an intentional placement. Rather, we attribute that to what? To the fact that Allah the plow scraped the stones, and that's why the plaster is there. Okay, says the Gemara, listen to this case. I'm Abbasi, Meitzer Echad Metsuyan. So I'll say, here's another interesting case. Here's another interesting case. This case over here is, if you can imagine you have a field, you have a field, and I will say, let's say one side of the field has its seal. So if you could, if you could imagine you have a field, let's just look at it as a square, and one side of the field has stones painted white. One side is Mitsuyan. So what's Talacha? Hutame Vechala Sadakula Tahora. Okay, so obviously the demarcation of one side of the field tells me that side of the field is going to be tummy. The rest of the field is tar. Shnayim. What happens if you have two sides of the field that are demarcated? Then ultimately, again, all, both of the sides are tummy. The rest of the field is tar. Shlosha. What happens if you have three sides of the field demarcated? I'll say white stones along three sides of the field. Then heintmein v'chala Ultimately, again, then we assume those three sides are tummy. The rest of the field is tar. Arba, what happens if I say if all four sides of the field are demarcated with white stones? Then what's the halach? Listen to this. So this is interesting. If you have four sides of the field demarcated, then what we assume that means is that the four sides that are demarcated are actually the tahar parts, and the rest of the field is tame. Which is interesting. The Amar Mar Ein Marchikin Siyon Mimakom Toma Shalahav Sedes Eretz Yisrael. Because I'm say because we learned that Allah Chalamaisa, you should not make the Siyon too big in order not to go ahead and cause the loss of agricultural land. So in a case like this, so this is very interesting. In other words, the Gemara is saying that in a case like this, where you see all four sides of the field painted white, so Allah again, what that's telling you is the entire interior of the field is Tamei. The white represents the tahar parts of the field. And the reason we do that is because if you start making the markers on top of the field itself, what's going to end up happening? You're going to essentially end up losing out on the corners, on the edges. By demarcating the edges, you at least highlight the usable area of the field and don't cause a total loss for the field. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Rashi's right across. This is why in this case, you demarcated all four corners. nitma to indicate the entire interior of the field is Tamei. So as I so again, in this case, all the Gemara is saying is, interestingly enough, in this case, it makes more sense to demarcate the usable area than it would to go ahead and put a Tzion on top of the Tamei area because you would end up losing out on any potential agriculturally usable space. I don't know, but I'll say it, it's interesting. This last piece is very interesting because halachalamaisa again, you could definitely see this creating incredible confusion. But I guess, I guess the notion of having all four sides of a field demarcated is such a strange thing, right? Such an aberration that as people would understand what that meant. Okay, fascinating halacha. Good. I will say that brings to an end. That brings to an end the exciting world of grave demarcations. So we'll say with that, let us continue. So we'll say, remember again, the next piece of the Mishnah. Next piece of the Mishnah was that Allah Chalamayi, Beisdin would also send out. 
There's actually, you know, it's, it's funny. In this, in this Gemara, I, I got this the last cycle of Dafilmi, or two cycles, can I remember. They, they have pictures, they have pictures. So I, I'll send it around. There's actually a good picture about this, of the grave demarcation. Uh, all, all, all of the cases of grave demarcation, there's a lot of good pictures. Okay, I'll send that out afterwards. In any event, so the Gemara says as follows. Remember, in this case, we'll say the Mishnah said, we also send out, we also send out, based in sends out messengers to go ahead and inspect and potentially uproot forbidden mixtures in the field. Says the Gemara, is that true? That we go out for Kilaim and Chalamaid, we wait till Chalamaid, or Minu, Be'echad Ba'adim Ashina al Ashkalim, on the first of Adar, we announce regarding the collection of the new Machsis Ashakal, we've seen this many times, the Allah Kilaim. And already the first of Adar, we make announcements for people to look at their fields to make sure that there's no forbidden mixtures. On the 15th of Adar, Koronas Hamagilat, Purim, Bikrachim, the Yotz in the Kabbes Esadrachim, and we already go out to cut back the thorn bushes. On the pathways, we'll attack in Arachovos and to fix and to fix the roads. Velamod hamikvos and to measure the mikvos, make sure they have the requisite amount of water. Vaosin kolzar hirabim and general, we pay attention to all public works, right, to all matters of the public. Umitzanin es hakvaris, we make sure that the graves are properly marked. Vyotzin af vyotzin alakilayim. And we go out to inspect about Kilaim. They're both saying, what is this happening? This is happening the 15th of Adar. They're both saying the 15th of Adar is what? More than a month before Chalamayit. So the Mishnah makes it sound like the first time we're going out to inspect about Kilaim is on Chalamayit, but it's not true already doing this. Purim. It already starts Rosh Chodesh Adar, but it seems to be the active, you know, the active Kilaim inspection takes place by Purim time. So what's going on over here? To which the Gemara Rabbi, Allah's Rabbi Yossi Bachinina, Chadamar Khan Bibachar Khan Ba'afil. So we'll say two different interpretations, not a contradiction. We'll say one is talking about early plants, one is talking about late plants. In other words, we'll say depending on the kilayim, it sprouts at different times. In Achinami, for things that are sprouting around Purim time, we'll inspect by Purim time. But there are certain kilayim, certain plants that are only sprouting around Chalamai time. Those will inspect by Chalamai time. V'chad amar kan bizroim kan birakos. But the other possibility is that one is talking about seeds or, or better stated grain and one is talking about vegetables. So we'll say they're pretty much both giving the same answer, which is different things sprout at different times. So in fact, there is not one kilayim inspection date, but in fact, there's two kilayim inspection dates. So for the early, for the early crops, right, or for the grain crops, we'll go ahead and we'll inspect around Purim time. And for the vegetable and later sprouting crops, we'll check around Chalamai time. Beautiful. So Rabbi Asi says, furthermore, again, we only say, right? If you look at Rashi, Rabbi Asi just says, by the way, these dates of Adar and Chalamaid is also only assuming that the Kilayim did not sprout. But I'll say, ultimately, again, if you have a plant that sprouts even earlier than Adar, then what? We would go out earlier than Adar. And so it's like, out over here is these dates that are given are just dates that are tied to agricultural cycle. But if you have, if you have Kilain that's sprouting earlier, we would go out earlier, even than Adar, to inspect that. Okay, so the Gemara says, So we'll say, why Chalamayid? Others will say, we have to just ask the following question. What's coming out according to the Gemara is that, When do you go out to inspect the Bakilai? When do you go out? 
whenever you know that it's going to be growing. Right? So depending on what, what time of the year. So why, the Mishnah seems to place this process of searching for Kilayim Dafka during Chalamayr, right? So what is this Chalamayr activity, right? Six Flags was sold out, so, right? so let, let's, let's go, let's go look for Kilayim. I was going to say, so what, why, why is this Dafka, why is this Dafka done during Chalamayr? So I was say, this is fast, listen to this. I'm Rabbi Yaakov, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Schar Pe'ula, Demosli Gabon. It's very simple, because you could find people to work for cheaper amounts during Chalamayr. I was saying, look at Rashi. You're not supposed to work on Chalamayid. Not supposed to work on Chalamayid. So because a person is not supposed to work on Chalamayid, people are... Remember again, this is our whole sugya. The only type of work you're allowed to do on Chalamayid is what? Is what? Davara Ovid. Most people are both say don't have Davara Ovid work. So therefore really, and this is important to in general, one ideally is not supposed to work. You're not supposed to go into work during Chalamayid. Unless a person really has to because it's a Davara Ovid. But one is not supposed to work during Chalamayid, which means that you have available workers. Available workers. And I'm say not only that, but you could hire those workers at a discounted price. Since they're not working anyway, you're not taking them away from something. Therefore, Halach Chalamayid said they are available. The mostly Gabon. So the Gemara says, now what do you see from this? What do you see from here? You see, I will say, where are these workers paid from? Where are these workers paid from? They're paid from Beis Hamikdash treasury. Now that's when there is a Beis Hamikdash. When there's no Beis Hamikdash, they're paid from the communal funds, from tzedakah funds, from communal funds. So I'll say, interestingly enough, how do you know they're paid from communal funds, from either Beis HaMikdash funds or from communal funds? Because I will say, here's the interesting part. When you're dealing with communal funds, you're obligated to find a bargain. Right? So the idea is, if we're pay- paying these people from private funds, we don't have to ask them to go with Cholamayid. We can ask them to go anytime, or whatever, whatever it costs, it costs. The fact that we're using communal funds, that's why we dafka use them on Chalamayid. Why? Because workers are cheaper on Chalamayid than they are the rest of the year, since they're not working any. So you both say, during the rest of the year, if I want someone to look for Kilayim, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? I have to make sure I'm paying them at least as much as what? As what? As they're making from their regular job. Well, in Chalamayid, that doesn't apply because the, most of the polem are not working anyway. So because of that, I can hire them at a discounted rate and I both say, therefore, Allah Chalamaysa, that's in, that's in the communal funds benefit. Because when utilizing communal funds, one is obligated to ensure that they are used in the most, what's the best, what's the best say, in the most um, economical way. In the most, um, it's not even economical, it's, um, we'll call it just appropriate way, right? One is obligated to ensure that in general, communal funds, tzedakah funds, are used in a, in a way that stretches the communal dollar to the greatest degree possible. Therefore, by definition, we hire the workers on Chalamayid because you can get them for a cheaper amount. Incredible. Viad Kama. So we'll say, here's an interesting challenge just with Kilayim. I will say, how much Kilayim do you have to move from a field? In other words, let's, let's take a simple example. I have a grain field and I have grapes growing in that field. So do I, how much, how much grape, right? How much grape growth is problematic 
that I would be obligated to go ahead and remove it from the field. So the Gemara says, I'll give you this shear. So we'll say, anytime, let's say you have a sa'ah of grain, that has one quarter of a kab, which is a 24th of a sa'ah. So we'll say, essentially, so if you have, if you have a sa'ah of grain, and one twenty-fourth of a saw of grapes growing there, that has to be uprooted. So I will say, which tells you something very interesting, that you could have, if, so if you have less than a twenty-fourth of a saw of grapes growing in a saw's worth of, of wheat, you'd actually don't, you're not halakhically obligated to uproot that. It's got to be at least a twenty-fourth of the growth of the primary field in order to have an obligation to uproot it. I... So now the image that we're painting over is as follows. What's happening? Whether it's Rosh Chodesh Adar, Purim, Cholamayid, Bezin is sending out people to inspect for Kilayim. We like Cholamayid because you can get workers at a bargain on Cholamayid. Good. So now what are the workers doing? They're going ahead and they're uprooting the Kilayim. So the says, interesting, Vatanya, Hiskinu Sheimaf Kirin Kalasa the Kula. So we have another Braisa, the other Braisa that says that if the messengers of the Bezdin found that someone was having Kelayim grow in their field, Bezdin would make that field Hefker, right? A pretty strong penalty. So we'll say, so, but which one is it? Are we uprooting Kelayim or making fields Hefker? Which one is this? Lokash, let's listen to this. There was an evolution of the Takana of Kelayim. Listen to this. Tisani, this is incredible. So in the beginning, the way you used to work was as follows. Basin would send out messengers to go ahead and search out Kilayim. And they would come to a field where there was Kilayim. What would the workers do? What would the, what would the workers of Basin do? They would uproot the Kilayim and they would just throw it on a field, right? They would, they would literally uproot and just throw it. Now the Gemara says they would throw it before the animals. The idea is they would just uproot it and leave it in the field. And the animals, the animals of the field owner would eat it. And about say the owner of the field was Besimcha. Why was he Besimcha? Number one, someone just weeded my field for free. And someone also fed my animals. So we'll say, so listen to this. So the guy, we'll call him Ruvain, who was growing Kilayim in his field. Okay, he didn't have in mind to grow Kilayim. He just wasn't taking care of his Kilayim issue. So now Basin, the, right, the workers of Basin come along. They, they, they uprooted the Kilayim and they threw it in front of the animals. So double Simcha, double Simcha. Number one, somebody weeded my field. And number two, somebody fed my animals. Givaldik, Givaldi, and I both say, yeah, you want to talk about disincentivizing people to get rid of Kilayim, this is it, right? This is it. I will say, right, the worst thing you could possibly do is pay people not to work. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting, right? Good, good. I guess Chazal were ahead of their times. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, next, Hiskinu she'okinu mashlichan ala drachem. So fine, what was the extra? Say, so they, right, so, so what do they do? So they, so they went and they, they weeded, they pulled up the Kilayim, they pulled up the Kilayim, they didn't throw it in front of the animals, they threw it in front of the, on, on the street, on the street. Still, the landowners were still very happy. Why are they happy? It's true, no, they, their animals weren't getting fed, but what? But what? 
their fields were getting weeded for free. So again, remember, the chap over here is, the takana is not working. In other words, let's say the whole idea of based in going ahead and sending, sending workers to the fields to uproot kilayim was a penalty, was a penalty. Basin's coming down to your property and Basin's uprooting your illegal growths. The problem is everybody's more than happy to let Basin come down and take care of their kilayim problem. You've got free labor. All right, it was nice when they fed my animals also. Now they're not feeding my animals, they're just uprooting, they're just uprooting the kilayim, fine. So Basin realized it's not working. So you're supposed to say, it's not working because you haven't created a mechanism that disincentivizes the growth of kilayim. Therefore, what happened? Hiskin Shimafkirin Kalasadakula. Basin now instituted a new Allah. Which was what? If Basin comes to your field and they find that you are going and growing Kilayim, what's going to happen? Basin will make your field own. So also remember again, Basin has the power to take your property. The concept of Hefker, Basin Hefker. It's, it's similar to like eminent domain, right? Although eminent domain, I think they have to take it for some other greater public use. But Lamaisa, again, Lamaisa, Basin has the power to take your property. So therefore, Bosai, when they saw that sending pollen, sending workers there to uproot Kilayim was not having the desired effect, they said, if we come to your field and we find Kilayim, we find Kilayim, again, the illegal amount of growth, 124th, 120th or more, we're going to make your field Hefker. So Bosai, that's an incentive to take care of your Kilayim problem. Beautiful. So Bosai, Mishnah, Mishnah, Rebbe Lazar Yaakov Omer, Moshchen es hamayim mi'ilan le'ilan, obilvach la'yashke es chalasada. So listen to this. So Rebosa, continuing along in the case over here. So still chalamay, still chalamay, you can go ahead and, you can still go ahead and channel water from one tree to another. So we'll say, so the image over here is as follows. You have a tree, and there's water pooling around tree A. But tree B is not getting water. So what do you want to do? You just want to dig. And when I say dig, by the way, this could be with your, with your foot. Right, you want to you want to go ahead and create the channel from tree A to tree B to allow the water to flow from tree A to tree. So Elizabeth and Yaakov says that is mutter, that is mutter, as long as you don't end up watering the entire field. Look at Rashi. The idea over here is because this is considered to be a loss. Again, it's the same principle as the previous Mishnah. If I don't water tree B, tree B will die. That's the case over here. And therefore, this is a davar ha'avid. This is a significant loss. Channeling the water from tree A to tree B is not considered to be tircha yisera, right? It's not, it's not a crazy effort. And therefore, I'm permitted to do it. I just can't end up watering the entire field. So we'll say, so the Gemara says, um, Ultimately, again, if there are seeds that you did not water before Chalamite, or plants that you did not water before Chalamite, you can't water them on Chalamite. I will say the idea being is, if, if it's not urgent enough to water it before Chalamite, then what? Then what? It's not urgent enough to allow you to do it on Chalamite itself. Because I will say, not every plant or not every seed needs to be watered all the time. So again, if you didn't water it before Chalamite, you can't water it on Chalamite. The Chacham allow both. It will say, so the Chacham allow you, number one, to water seeds on Chalamite, even if they weren't watered before Chalamite. That's number one. And number two, the Chacham actually not only allow you to channel water from tree A to tree B, but they allow you to what? Water the entire field. Now, Bosay, now Rashi says over here, this reflects the view of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says that, you're even permitted to water a base habal. But you're even permitted to water a field that is sustained by rainwater. We quoted that sheet on Beis Amadal. If you've never explained it, 
but we've quoted it. We'll get into it now. Says the Gemara, Amr of Yehuda, Im Haisa Sadem Mitunenes Mutter. So let's listen to this case. If you have a feel, look at Rashi. Amr of Yehuda, Had Amr of Elazar, Avalo Yashkes Hasadekula, Avalem Haisa Sadem Mitunenes. Lacha, Vievesha, Mutter Lashkosa, Avagav da Habeb Sadeb Beis Habal. Listen to this. Yaakov the Mishnah said it like this. Yaakov say, tree A has water pooling in front of it. Tree B doesn't have water. What can you do? What can you do? Channel water from A to B. What can't you do? What can't you do? Water the entire field. Comes on Rehuda and says, but there's an exception. If it's what's called a Sada Mitunenes. Sada Mitunenes means a field that is normally moist, but is now dried up. Now, I say, this is talking about even a field that is sustained normally by rainwater. Something's happened, and now the field is dry. If you don't water that field, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The field, the produce is going to die. This now becomes a hefsid maruba, and therefore, Allah Chalamaisa, you would be permitted to water such a field. So, I'll say, what this is essentially is a case like this. This is a case where essentially a, a, base, a base habal, right, which is a field that is normally taken care of by rainwater, can kind of become a base hashalchim an irrigated field, if for some reason, again, it just dries up. So the Gemara says, Tanya, now Yachir that supports this, When we said that you can't water a field on Chalamayid, that's only talking about plants, plants or seeds that were not watered before Chalamayid. So if it wasn't watered before Yom Tiv, then obviously means it doesn't need to be watered all of the time. And therefore, Allah Chalamayid, you can't water it on Yom Tiv. But if you have plants which were watered before Chalamaid, then what? Then you're permitted to go out and water them on Chalamaid itself. Similarly, again, if it was a field that is normally moist, but for some reason has now dried up, mutter. You're permitted to water that field because if I failure to water that field will result in a loss. I have some aruba, therefore you're permitted. So I'll say, but you can't go ahead and water a sadeh gorid, excuse me. What's a sadeh gorid? Look at Rashi. Yevesha me'olam. But i say, if you have a field that's naturally dry, but I guess in agriculture, there are certain things that don't really require a lot of moisture to, to grow. So a sadeh gorid is a field that is normally dry. So a field that is normally dry, you can't water on chalamaid. Okay. The Chachamim say that Allah you're allowed to water a Sadiq Garid, and you're even allowed to water seeds that were not watered before Chalamai. As we're going to see, whenever we see Chachamim in this context, Chachamim usually reflective of the view of Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Meir just has a very permissive view when it comes to watering things on Chalamai. Again, we'll discuss why that is. I'm Ravina. So Ravina says, Shmamina. We're really something very important from here. Hai tarbitza shari letarbutze bechola demoada. So Avina says, what do you see from here? Look at Rashi. Hai tarbitza. Tarbitza, Rashi says, is a gina, is a garden. So this garden, shari letarbutze bechola demoada. Rashi says, shari letarbutze lezalef ale amayim afaga veleka psidol tarbutze lahashkos lashon eim mechabnin beimar beitzin hainu hashka porta kadeshiyatsu hayerakos. So also listen to this. So Ravina says, what do you see from here? that you're allowed to sprinkle some water on a field on Chalamayid. 
That's tarbitza. You could sprinkle some water on a field on Chalamay. Now, interestingly enough, why would you be doing this? Rashi says over here, the reason you do this ultimately is to go ahead and allow the vegetables to come out in a more easy fashion. So the Gemara says, because after all, Sade Gorid Maitaima. So ultimately, again, why are you permitted to go ahead and water a Sade Gorid? Which Abba says is a field that is naturally dry. Abba said, we'll have to stop over here. We're going to pick up with this Ravina about the Tarbitza, right? About watering the garden patch. And we'll pick up with that tomorrow. Shkayach, everyone.